Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is a doctor and a lawyer walk into a podcast. I am Dr. Blom, hailing from Central Texas. With me, as always, is my excellent friend, excellent colleague, gentleman, and a scholar. Here he is, Sean Esquire. What's going Howdy. on? Howdy, Hello. Dr. Blom. Yes, July 22, 2023. We're trying to catch up. I guess we you are, should let everyone know. We, are, we gave a little bit of a heads up last time regarding all of the vacation and the traveling. It's summertime. And so, you know, all of you are probably traveling, all of our all of our friends from around the world, all of our listeners. Uh, hello and shout out. Uh, aloha and namaskar. Guten uh, Tag to our Belgian friends, Nigerian friends, everyone. We are getting more and more listeners. That's great. So thank you everyone for joining us. We know it's it's vacation and, time. And thank you, man on the lake, man in the middle of Kansas. <laughs> Love that. Well, we assume it. We assume it's a dude. We don't know. It might be, might be a cat like lady, a family. Well, a family, you know, or maybe like a bunch of cat ladies got together and said, "We're done with society. We're going out there." And so we'll um, live on the lake. Yeah, that one blip that we see on the middle of the lake in in Kansas or whatever, I still say it's a. You know, like a Navy SEAL guy. He's just like constantly training. He's he's ready. He's ready what for anything. What if it's anything. the UFO over the lake mm -hmm. and it's just picking up like it's on the lake? Yeah. It's a, like a Chinese uh, spy guy. And uh, he's he's probably he's probably like at least half reptile uh, alien oh, yeah. guy. Yeah. He's a Manchurian candidate nanobot reptile person he's in cahoots with the Bilderbergs so and and he's a fan for for whatever reason he him, him or her so him and his whole his whole weird family so we're you know thank you for listening we're happy we're happy about all of that we have big things on this episode huge things exciting things uh first and foremost we had a little bit of mea copa nothing major last episode we talked about jaws and sean esquire said jowls which is great. I'm still laughing about that. Shauna Square, thank you for <laughs> someone in Hollywood. Please make Jaws. The guy that wrote the book for Jaws, he's actually in the movie. We didn't mention that. I didn't mention that. He's in the uh, he's in the 1975 Jaws movie. He's one of the reporters. So when you go back and watch the movie, that's him. He he wrote the book. He did it. The other uh, Maya Copa, or actually, it's more of a follow up. We had mentioned a couple episodes ago about. Frankincense and myrrh. Mm -hmm. Sean Esquire, how did we get down that? I don't know because those have to do with the three wise men, um, right? We had, I, we were not talking about the three wise men. Well, we no, we just got on like oh, the just the spice trade in general that we were talking oh, about. Yes, yeah. all right, yeah. Listen to the old episode, Sean Esquire, so you can know <laughs> what we're what we're correcting. Yeah, that we had made a comment on on that. Anyway, so I, I did a little bit of digging on the uh, frankincense and myrrh, at least the spice trade wise. It was a huge thing way back in the day. And it was actually, uh, I don't know, it was frankincense or myrrh. Uh, they were worth more than gold. They oh. were, uh, well, yeah, at a certain time they used them for medicine. They used them. I don't think it was just like a flavoring of the food thing that we had. I guess that makes sense because like saffron is more mm -hmm. expensive than In gold insanely insanely expensive i don't know what you're what they're what exactly to put it on other than rice but yeah once upon a time that we were making fun of the spice trade and that uh that's 
Frankenstein the murder, they, they were insanely expensive and that really sort of opened the, the world for uh, commerce and everything. So yeah, we laugh about it, but once upon a time, they, I mean, they used it to like, I think they used it to mummify bodies and it was just a, uh, a panacea of sorts. And they would say, Oh, we're going to use it for medicinal pur- purposes and it's going to make your hair shiny and manageable. And it was the, you know, it was the, uh, it was the bee's knees, the bee, <laughs> these knees of the uh, of the 20s i don't know the um 420s so uh, that's a little little bit of the frankenstein murder we made a joke about the spice trade and then also that i had given sean esquire a hard time on whistleblowing that we had Mm -hmm. talked about the origins of whistleblowing sean esquire did you do any homework or you just you want me to look everything up or yeah no it was it was the british it was the British, yeah. So, they blew whistles. They blew. They lo- they couldn't stop. They loved it. They're like, hey, look, look, look at me. And it was the, almost a sport. The phrase "whistleblowing," I'm pretty sure, came about from the Bobbies, the British cops. They would blow whistles and say, "Hey, there's a guy over here," because you know the British cops they don't have a lot of guns. I don't know. No, if people know. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's there's parts of the world where the police are like, "Excuse me, please don't do that." Please stop stabbing that person. Don't make me blow my whistle. I'm going to annoy you with my whistle. They have the guns are not, the cops are not armed immediately. They're special cops. They're armed. They're far well, away. They have physical arms. Right. They don't, they don't yeah. have firearms. They don't have firearms. They're just there to admonish just a strict, a very stern wag of the finger. Excuse me, sir. Please stop there with your felonies. And yes. then I guess in those parts of the world, they're like, I'm sorry. I don't know what I was thinking, and they Here, just hold the whistle. Jail. They hold the whistle to their mouth. They're like, "Don't make! I'm gonna! I'm gonna!" And like, "Oh shit! The whistle's coming out." <laughs> so that's we we're pretty sure that's where the phrase "whistleblower" came through. And I think I'm all caught up on Maya Cope. So that's not really Maya Cope, but that's just a follow just up. Just follow up. Way. Yeah, so I'm just gonna I give a, <clears throat> no errors here, no Maya culpa ever, but. But I'll give a follow-up. We talked uh, current events last episode covered the quote-unquote coup of Russia with mm. the mercenary group storming back to uh, to Moscow, and then they attempted, stopped. Attempted coup, supposed and, coup. And then Lukashenko from Belarus was like, okay, hey, don't go to Moscow. I've talked to Putin. You can come to our country you don't have to go back to the Ukraine. And so just this week, um, you know, there were satellite images saying, yes, the Wagner Group is now in Belarus. And I guess a clash occurred between the Wagner Mercenary Group and some of the border guards in Belarus. And I read that the border guards of Belarus backed off. So oh, yeah. I guess things are not going great with the group. I don't get, I think maybe they sort of oversold it. They said, Hey, let's get these mercenaries. And again, I said last time, Russia probably doesn't need black ops mercenaries. And they said, Oh, you know, they try to invade Moscow. They try to do a coup. And so they're going to have to go to Belarus and, and cool off, go to, go to Belarus. That's like their timeout, I guess. When you, <laughs> go to Belarus and cool when off. You a, when you try to do a coup in Russia, then they send you to Belarus as a timeout. And then, and then Belarus was like, Oh, we're going to, we're going to take these guys out. I probably Putin told them 
hey, uh, can you guys just um, kill these guys? So, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's interesting too. I looked it up. Belarus's military force is like 60,000 men. So Wagner Group is like 25,000. So they have like half the number of forces, but they're mercenaries. Yeah, I mean, they're Russian mercenaries. They're Russian black ops. I have a very strong feeling the Wagner Group. And again, we got to do a follow up at some point on how they got that name. I feel like they're sponsored by Coca-Cola or something with Wagner Group. They were wagging of the finger. That's what it was. That's how they started. And they were like, this wagging finger thing is not really doing it. We're going to have to start slitting throats. And so, uh, yeah, I think it's, I don't know exactly what's going on over there. And they said, hey, we're going to we're gonna do a coup on Moscow. I'm ah, just kidding. And I said, oh, we're going to go to Belarus and, and we have to go to timeout because Putin said so. And then in the meantime, no one knows where uh, we're head. Progrosin. Progrovikic. Provalzin. Progrosin. P-Dog? Where's P-Dog? Apparently, there was some video that he sent out the other day, again, bashing the Russian military. So he's he's, somewhere in that part of the world, maybe. Maybe, and still vocal against the Russian military. I mean, he's got 20,000, 25,000 murder, I say murder, killing soldier mercenaries. Yeah, dudes that that are under his command. So he doesn't strike me as the cut and run kind of guy. No, I don't think so, so either. But he's out there somewhere doing videos and like, hey, boo Putin. Or he's saying, hey, I'm sorry, I, I maybe I drank too much. No, no, it's still like uh, they're incompetent and don't know what they're doing. Oh, he's still talking shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Putin said, go to Belarus and go in timeout and all will be forgiven or whatever. And then he's- this guy is still in the wind. P dog. Yeah. Yeah. He's probably going to get a podcast going. (laughs) He's, he's going to team up with that person on the middle of the lake. And he's like, I'm safe here. So (laughs) yeah, the, the per per gochigan P dog is somewhere out there still supposedly, unless maybe they're doing like a deep fake and he's already dead. There's always, there's always that. Yeah. So he's out there somewhere and he's making, he's still making videos like boo Putin. And, Mm -hmm. and he has, 25 highly trained killer mercenaries to back him up. And Belarus was like, Oh, we have 60,000. I'm sorry. No, never mind. That's not enough. Yeah. I, yeah. I like this guy just based on, just based on his balls and, and like just <laughs> his gusto alone. I'm like, all right, I got to read up on this guy. He seems to be like, he's kind of rattling Putin. He's rattling Belarus. He's nowhere to be found. There's that. So yeah. Yeah, where's this guy's movie? Right. Okay. Well, well, we look forward to more updates on uh, Pergocha Kinch and uh, what else is going on in the world. There it is. All right. Very excited about Beer Talk this week. Chen Esquire, what do you got over there? You got your your Zima? You have your (laughs) strawberries? You doing your strawberry Zima? I'm drinking a pirate or pirate. P-I-R-A-A-T. It's a Belgian ale. Shout out to the Belgians again. Product of Belgium. It is a 10.5%. Now, I looked it up. This beer wasn't actually made until 1988. It's it's brewed by the Van Steenberg Brewery. uh, Created in the wake of the success of its 
Golden Drock beer, which I've actually got some Golden Drock. Um, Joseph von Steenberg used the same unique wine yeast as in Golden Drock to create a unique, excellent amber beer. The result is a very drinkable but strong beer worthy of its name. Its power takes you on a journey, not in a canoe, but a journey nonetheless. Did they say canoe? They did not say canoe. I'm just kidding. you're, you know, you're, oh, you're talking Maudit. shit to Maudit. Okay, Maudit. okay, that's fine. Oh, because because Maudit's like not ten point five percent, and your and your weird beer is. You're, yes, um, okay. but you you go through some type of journey. They say of a unique flavors based on the brewery's rich traditions. A living beer with a rich past sets sail. I I love it. I love any any beer company that really. Just hires the unemployed English professor and says, "Hey, come on, come on out here, come on, come. We need, we need some help here." <laughs> Sean Esquire, are doing, we're doing a new uh, addition to the podcast where we're pouring our beers. By the way, um, we shouldn't have to mention this every time. Our beers are not canned beers, everyone. Sometimes they are, sometimes, but we do the we do the uh, can thing. That's that's our our sound introduction. So no no bottle here. Sean Esquire, we're gonna pour our beers and and do our uh, do our review. Ready? One, two, three. Ah, uh, looking good. Sean Esquire has a very fancy uh, chalice of sorts. Yes. And I, I ordered, ordered a four pack off Amazon. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, with 5 percent. All right. I love that they kicked in that point five. They're they're like. We could stop at 10, but we're going to 10 and a half. Sometimes you need that little push, man. Just get there. So am I going to be calling in sick to work on Monday? 10% no, 10.5%. I'm going to need Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, actually. This week, (laughs) I have have Warstein. Warsteiner. That's fun to say. This is it. Very, very you think they probably beer. pronounce it with like a V? It's probably like Warsteiner. Warsteiner, yeah, very, very like guttural. Uh, I love on the label uh, that it says Das Ising Ein Einzing Walk. I'm I'm guessing on the pronunciation of that. I apologize to our German listeners. So Das Einzing Walk. It means the real deal. I love oh. that. And Sean Esquire and I did our did our uh, traditional pour. Mine is on the darker side because it is it is a dunkel, which as what? we've all learned from the podcast means dark. Sean Esquire's is kind of blondish, yeah, not it's too pretty blondish, light. right? I got um, mine is smelling kind of hoppy, not too hoppy. I think it's right right on the money for my taste. What's yours? What's your ten point five percent? It smells malty. Yeah, Malty's good. Mine is a four point eight percent. Very reasonable. It is oh, a that's just a hair above Miller Lite. Oh, are you going? Are you going to summer camp with a bunch of little girls for your four point eight percent? Mine is a Dunkel. It is a roasted barley malt. Uh, obviously, a, a German beer. And I believe Sean Esquire and I have both, as we as we try to do, we have honored the tried and true tradition. Of the German purity law, Sean Esquire. I have I have a seal on my beer. I don't know about your weird. My my beer has nothing on it because it's a pirate. They don't they right. don't 
they don't follow laws. They don't go by laws. Pirate. P-I-R-A-A-T. It's got a ship on the label. I don't know if you can oh, see that's that. cool. Yeah, it's an old ship. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pirate. I like I like pirates. Like we don't need German purity anything because we're doing we're we're doing pirate shit. Again, that's cool. it only came in a four pack. Mm-hmm. I I would like yeah. to recommend uh, two more beers. <laughs> Shine has made it very very clear to the beer world and our our Belgium friends are uh, friends across the pond. When you make a strong beer, be it eight percent, nine, ten, whatever percent, it's okay to make that a six pack. Don't yeah. be shy. Don't <laughs> no. Keep the same but, price point. Right. But two yeah. more beers, please. Don't don't make more money on your on your insanely high alcohol content beer. Yeah, mine is a mine came in a six pack because it's a four point eight percent. I wonder if that's like a um, an etiquette thing, like a beer etiquette thing for them. Or if they're just like, come on, you don't need a six pack of ten point five percent. That's that's a problem. You have a serious problem there. I'm going to talk to some of the distilleries to see if they uh-huh. can start doing bourbon in two packs. Mm. I think there's. I, I've had. I have had a bourbon barrel beer or bourbon like. Oh yes, yeah, it's finished style. in like a bourbon barrel style beer. Yeah, my beer has uh, no ship on its label. Well, it's it not does... a pirate. My beer on 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 the label it says um, more doctors boo boo to the lawyers. I don't even know what, what that means. That's weird. That's weird. <laughs> it says. <laughs> uh, my beer label is seventeen fifty three. You know I'll, what? I'll... My de- my decree or my decree my degree does say mm-hmm. doctorate on it, mm-hmm. so yeah. I'm just gonna say you know if they're including doctors, I'm technically three years of school and 50, <laughs> 15 years of school. Uh, so I've got mine is fifteen. Sorry, seventeen fifty three. It's a great it's a great year. Oh probably. yeah, big things happened back in seventeen fifty three. And I do, I do have the uh, seal of approval from the German purity law. So, which, uh, as we've covered before, it means that your your beer is uh, hops, barley, water, and yeast, and that's it. And um, what's, that is, what's your... does, does your say anything about taking you on a journey? <laughs> I mean, it's implied. There's, I love your yours is very ornate. My. Uh, Warsteiner, Warsteiner premium, Dunkel. It's hard to not say that with a German accent. Sorry, uh, German German folk about my uh, offensive accent. It's a rich, dark amber beer with full flavor. Full flavor. I don't know. How, like yours might be half or like, you know, a tenth. Full flavor. Smooth taste, nicely accented with satisfying notes of roasted malt. And subtle bottom fermenting yeast tones. So I don't know if yours is like a top fermenting or middle fermenting or whatever what a bullshit you have going on on your end. But over <laughs> here, over here, <laughs> over here, we've got bottom fermenting yeast, which, as we all know, it's the catfish uh, of the beers. Was, it's the bottom <laughs> fermenting bottom yeast tones. No, no, it's not a bottom feeders. I also uh, I want to say on the on the dot page that you pull up the beer. There's a whole whatever you have some 
story about your ship and your journey or whatever. There's a there's a whole <laughs> section on the on the hops that I have. I don't I don't want to go into it because it's it's quite a, quite extensive. So high five, uh, Vorsteiner. There's a section on the brewing barley, especially soft brewing water. You want your water soft. Nobody nobody's looking at a beer and like oh this beer is so water. good. Yeah, look at that. No, that's that's trying too hard. And then uh and then there's nutritional facts. Actually, I'm interested in the nutritional facts on my <laughs> my nutritional facts have original gravity percent. I don't know what, what that is. Yeah, there's a beer analysis on my nutritional facts. Uh, original gravity percent eleven point six. So if so you drink eleven point six gravity affects you and you slam forward. I, I feel like that's a good original gravity. That's where you want to, you want to be around 11.6. Obviously we have alcohol uh, is 4.8 and then, um, wow, there's energy, which is, uh, this energy is negative calorie calories, one, one eighty. um, fat eight and then protein. I got a, I got a good 0.5 grams of protein on my end. So oh. yeah. It's a protein shake. Yeah, I mean, you know, three or four of these, and you're ready to throw, you know, max out 500 on on the bench press easily. Throw some weight around. So yes, I mine smells not too, not too overdone. It it's a little darker than what I would normally, but very, very, very minimally darker. That's and, very. Uh, it's very dark for such a small alcohol percentage. It looks so. I'll say this: it looks darker than it tastes. There's some beers that are dark and they just taste dark, and like a, like a Guinness or something like that. So this one does not taste as dark as it looks. And um, sometimes you get a darker beer and it's like a like a sweet caramel kind of thing. I've Ooh. got a I got a little bit of a of a coffee on the uh, on the aftertaste, which I really like. Get any frankincense. Aroma? So much. Oh my God. They subtle, very subtle on the frankincense. Um, I feel like this would be a good summer beer, even though mm. it's on the darker side. And I feel like it would go great with a burger. And oh, yeah. I don't think so much with seafood, but I think like kebabs, I think this would go great with a, like a grilling beer. And then I don't, I don't know if you're the type that like pours beer when you grill, like on, like burgers or whatever, I, this would this would be one of them. So, not too sweet, not too heavy. I like the fact that it's dark but not heavy. I like that. Don't cool mm. beer, and uh, cool. And I don't have a ship on the cover, but I have a like a crown. There's a crown there, and uh, I got that German purity seal of approval, so you know it's good. Mm. Uh, I would drink again for sure. Four point eight, not too not too heavy. Could I? I could go, you could probably crank it up to like, just round it up to eight, I think. Yeah. So overall, very good uh, on the, on the Vorsteiner. I like to say it and it's fun and it's uh, not too heavy. I, I'm, but I'm a guy that likes darker beers for the most part. And uh, even though it's like darker, it is very reminiscent of an Amber. Um, amber is my go-to. Amber is my go-to beer. So this is. As far as dark beers go, this is very, very close to Amber's. So definitely we'll drink again. High five to the Vorsteiner people. And um, yeah, looking looking forward to uh, learning more about this beer. And also the company, they have something like six, seven different varieties. They're blondes and they're this and they're that. And so, um, yeah, very, very happy with this one. Fantastic.
Um, I have a product review, Dr. Blom. Oh, okay. So we, you know, we had Amazon Prime Day, what hit like a week ago, week and a half ago. So I was able to get in on a couple of shark robots, not the robots from the movie Jaws, but shark vacuum robots. Shark bots. So we've got one for upstairs and one for downstairs. Um, Sharkira cleans the downstairs and Clean Latifah cleans the upstairs. Did they come with names? Uh, you have to name them and they gave recommended names. And so did it come with like the birth certificate and all that? I got, I got one a few years ago. It was Bobby. And then when it came and had like, it had like a name and a birth certificate when I was like, it's a, it's a vacuum. We can just fire it up. Let's go. I didn't, Um, I didn't need the whole. Mine didn't have a birth certificate. It was just created. Anthropomorphize my stupid cleaning thing. So. Uh, yeah, I had one a while back, but they're they're working good. You you like? Your, oh, I love your, it, especially okay. with with the corgi hair, you know, that gets all over the place. It takes uh, yeah, care you got you, you got one of those dogs. Uh, we we haven't used ours in a long time. I don't know if it died or exactly what happened. It was fun in the beginning, but I think that these are the type of products that get really good every couple of years, and they have mm-hmm. all their their little things to to work out and they're round. And so how do they get in the corner? And then the little thing comes out and all that. And then you worry about like, Oh, it's wired into China. So China is like watching me <laughs> eat cereal and, and uh, watch American gladiators or whatever. There's always that. So uh, I bought more cameras for prime day. Uh, oh, big yeah. fan of cameras. Yeah. You get your camera in the car cameras, you know, cameras around the house and big fan of cameras. And so anybody, Pulling in. I don't know if ever, anybody else knows. There's a lot of people on the road that are beyond dumb, just insanely dumb. They shouldn't be driving at all. So uh, I very often do long drives with work and things like that. I can't count how many times people try to run into me and just just dumb, dumb, dumb people. And I don't want to be a jerk here, but quite often the culprit is a uh, large SUV people. Maybe they're I don't know who's in there, a soccer mom or whoever. Very often there's a culprit. Uh, it's just like, um, I'm just going to come into your lane and, you know, run you off the road or whatever. I'll give a PSA here when there's someone in the left lane, get out of the way. Cause some of us are trying to go to an emergency. And so people are like, Oh, I'm going to drive 55, stay alive. Like you can, there's other lanes to do that. So anyway, my, my prime purchase was a uh, cameras. I like my cameras and, um, yeah. I'm glad you like. I'm glad you like your cleaning robots. Keep us posted on the robots. Will do. Um, on that, do you want to take a quick break before quick, we hit quick quick break? Yeah, got to fire up some some more beers, and then we have big things when we come back. Big uh, since we've been away on vacation and stuff, uh, we've got some really fantastic history stuff. So everybody, grab your beers, quick bathroom break, whatever you got to do, and then we'll be right back. And welcome back to a doctor and lawyer walk into a podcast. So Sean Esquire and I were talking during break. I did forget this last week, uh, meal of the week. Sean Esquire and I are always looking for the best steak prep, the best steak in general, the best steak cooking, every everything. There's a whole science there that we continue to learn. I tried a new marinade this last week on some ribeyes, which I highly recommend. 
I've always been a red wine, butter, garlic. garlic. Yeah, red red wine, butter, garlic, frankincense. Pepper. No, no frankincense on the on the steak. Uh, so that's been my my go to marinade forever. And then this last week or so, uh, I probably because it's summertime and I'm grilling more. I said, well, let's try some uh, different marinade. You know, life is about life is about journeys, right, Sean Esquire? Yes. <laughs> you, ever, you ever been on a journey a journey before? What type of what type of journey? Sometimes the journey is a 10.5% beer. <laughs> You're definitely going on a journey there. You're going to wake up with your head shaved in Mexico on a 10.5%. So this last week I did I did this mar- this great marinade, which I highly recommend for, uh, at least for ribeyes. I don't know if it's going to work for, I feel like it would work for just about any steak. I did, um, so a soy sauce, low salt soy sauce because i'm not a i'm i'm not the kind of guy that just likes a salty whatever so low salt soy sauce low salt worcester worcestershire wash your sister sauce or that's it that's probably it and a1 uh like the hearty a1 i went with a third of a cup on all of those this was a big ribeye this was a this was a decent sized ribeye overnight i did a dry rub on the ribeye and i did uh uh, olive oil, and then so rub it with olive oil, olive oil, and then I did pepper, and then just like a garlic herb, garlic herb, and the usual oregano and things like that. So I did dry rub on that, put it in a saran wrap, uh, put it in a, um, like a gallon bag. bag, big big gallon bag, got all the air out, right? Stuck that in the fridge overnight, and so uh, that really like got in infused, and, infused. Thank you, in intercalated. Intercalated mm. also could go with that, and then so my marinade marinade was the um, low salt sodium low sodium soy sauce. Thank you, A one and low sodium Worcester Shire Shire. Uh, that was great. Oh, and I did a little bit of balsamic vinegar also. Mm. So I did all that, and then as I cooked it, I I you know I did the garlic. I put the real deal garlic on there out of the jar uh before i before i threw it on the grill five out of five stars amazing really really did so that might be my go-to marinade from now on and and i've been married to the red wine butter black pepper ground pepper garlic i've been married to that marinade forever i did a couple of steaks like that just the the old school like hey maybe this is not going to go well i better have that those are great those are really good so it's just kind of like two different steaks that were really great but i really think that soy sauce a1 worcester balsamic might be my new go-to really really good highly recommend hmm. uh. yes. you know what time it is yes okay that's good we're doing we're doing the short version. We talked about this. Thank thank you. Thank you. Yes. We're doing the short version. <laughs> I think our listeners are like, it was funny the first 15 times that you guys did it. So also before we get into like I mean, this is kind of history. I want to give a, a, a heartfelt shout out to Sean Esquire. His amazing shirt today. He has a blood sport shirt. Jean Claude's uh, damn van. John, right, right, yes, and uh, that was that was based on Frank Dutz and the Kumite, 
I just like to say Kumite. The Kumite. And in the movie, yeah, he, he like punches the guy in the balls and he's like blinded when that guy was cheating. I think that guy was, name was like Bolo. I think his name was Bolo. He was in he was in the Chinese can I enter the dragon. He was buddies oh, yeah. with uh he Bruce was buddies Lee. with uh, Bruce Lee, yeah. So uh <clears throat> Esquire, awesome shirt, amazing shirt. Got a gray undershirt from Target, so we're also <laughs> evenly matched, I feel. Yeah. yeah, amazing, amazing shirt, Sean Esquire. And this week in history, I watch, start I off, watch this movie every Christmas, by the way. Yeah, I, I watch Bloodsport as soon as I wake up every day just to feel good about myself and to just get like ripped and just yeah. like, you know, I'm going in. Yeah, any anything that life throws at me. You're I'm doing like, the I, splits I, on what? two logs outside, <laughs> the hands together. I do. <laughs> the splits in the shower and i'm like oh yeah just have a tv outside of the shower you're 40 40 (laughs) stories up on a skyscraper just Mm. always got to get like in the 80s there was a bunch of like white dudes that got trained by asians in like in actual asia there was a there was a series of those movies where it was like he's got that's where john rambo was at he kind of knows how to fight but until he finds an old asian guy to help him you know, out of he's his not gonna stupid, win again. stupid white guy ways, this old Asian man, he's going to get him up to, I mean, you know how many, whenever you're fighting and you're like, oh, this guy threw a bunch of sand in my eyes. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to do. Go, oh, boom, punch him in the balls. So you didn't, right? <laughs> you got to no, use your other senses. No one's going to, only an old Asian man can teach you that, that, uh, that, that classic, like right in the balls, bam. So. Mm-hmm. We have big, big things for this week in history. Uh, yeah, I just want to preface this too because we were we were off a couple weeks, and I love how Dr. Mm-hmm. Blom was like, maybe we'll start like we'll just try to catch up real quick. We'll go like July eighth until current. And I was like, you know, there was something that happened on the fourth. That's or so. That I think we should probably reference. Just a little bit. Hot dog. There was a guy that ate the most hot dogs ever. In July America 4th. on yes. July 4th, right? This hot dog guy. We're going to yep. spend the next hour and a half talking about the hot dog master and how he <laughs> eats all of them. <laughs> I'm sorry that we, because we, with, you know, again, vacations. Sorry, we almost forgot 4th, about your birthday, right? America. No, you have, uh, hey, happy birthday, America. And also, hey, England, tough, tough break there. Tough shit. Yeah, y'all were England. working on Tuesday. As we always say every July 4th, to all of our to all of our friends, all of our fellow Americans, real true blooded Americans, come on. Hey, if you don't have any British friends, get some British friends. If nothing else, for the sole purpose of saying, Hey, what are you doing on July 4th? You should come over to my place for barbecue. And then when you get when they get there, you're like, Hey, here's here's uh here's some barbecue. And uh, also, hey, 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 uh yeah, tough, tough break there, <laughs> red coats. So yeah, it is your American right to rub salt in the wounds of every British person you know. And also, I love this age of technology. You can just get online on Facebook or whatever. You just tell British people like, hey, yeah, guess what happened? Guess what happened? To- guess what happened today, England? So, We're independent. <laughs> I know they're they're very proud. Like, oh, we we burned down the White House and we, you know, we attacked DC. I'm like, ah, yeah, okay, whatever. Still there. <laughs> It's still there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Who has the who has the best currency now? And also, you're welcome for World War II, England. So well, yeah, it, saved you. It's not, 
not always about rubbing your salt, rubbing the salt in the wounds, but we, come on, Brits, at least one day. Back to back so, World yes, War champs. Can't believe that we didn't have a, no soundbite for July 4th. We should be having some fireworks. We're going to edit all that in later. So happy birthday, America. Happy July 4th. There's nothing the, like celebrating the independence of America by blasting Chinese gunpowder in the air. Yes. Also, also uh, drinking uh, non-American beers. There's also there's also that. There's many ways, many ways that we can. I think that that is a testament to how uh, ecumenical and just uh, diverse America is. And then we're like, you know, it's July Fourth. We're gonna do some Chinese fireworks, and we're gonna go probably shoot a, an Italian shotgun. And you know, yeah. that's I think that's. That's how it is. A lot of other countries, they celebrate their independence and they don't, you know, they're not willing to I'm embrace drive the... my Dodge pickup that was built in Mexico. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're the U S we're all about embracing multiple cultures from around the, all, all the cultures from around the world. Yeah. We, we love except British stuff. I, I don't the, I mean, on July 4th. I mean, British come on. Like, there's no fish and chips. I mean, we're, yeah, let's celebrate. Let's go grill some, whatever British. Yeah. No, one, no one is bangers and British mash. Yeah. I know Gordon Ramsay, blah, blah, blah. All right. You got Gordon Ramsay. And I don't know beyond that. I don't, we got chef Boyardee. So try, try <laughs> to beat that. I'm get. I'm he's probably American. So <laughs> it's, it's July, like Italian. Canadian. July 4th. <laughs> July 4th. Rachel Ray, she's probably American, right? You turn on TV, you see a chef that's making good shit. You know, 99 times out of 100, it's an American. And then the one time it's Gordon Ramsay and he's yelling at someone and that, you know, that vein in his forehead is going to mm -hmm. burst and it's going to get all over the, the cordon bleu, you know. So uh, the... <laughs> Lobster plan blade is ruined. Happy July fourth. Happy birthday to America. July fourth, when we we got away from King George the Third, United States of America. We have a lot to learn that this country was founded on tax disputes, and we've got a hand. We're going to dedicate episodes to that. But what I wanted to talk about was the fact that July fourth itself is is pretty debated. Like a lot of things that we talk about on the podcast, that there's there's always at least one person that's like, nah, that's not the day. <laughs> and so we don't know if they're like trying to make a name for themselves or, or whatever. So the July 4th, like many things in history, not just American history, just history in general is debated because they had on July two, they had basically come about and said the official vote and said, this is it. We're, we're done with King George the third and all of that. John Adams actually thought that July 2 was going to be the day. And he, and he had commented many times and said, Oh, uh, you know, there's going to be huge celebrations forever and ever. And they it, couldn't and get and the fireworks shipped in, in time on the second. Right. Well, you know, it's, uh, it gets lost in the mail and then the, the, the delivery Sh boy, he's, he's like, you know, nobody takes pride in their work anymore. Nobody wants to work. The actual text of it was approved uh, on uh, on July fourth, seventeen seventy six. That was it. The calligraphy version that we all know, the fancy version, that was uh, July nineteenth, right? Uh, also, 
we should mention that uh, this was all done in Philly, right? This is uh, the quote-unquote birth of the country. And then most members of Congress ended up signing it on August the 2nd. So there, there's a lot there. Some we really should be great... off for the month between July 4th and August 2nd. Right. So heavy, heavy debate about the day and all these things. The other thing I wanted to point out is when they, when they signed, people think about like, oh, they signed and it was a huge celebration, all this. It was mostly, the historians say, it was mostly quiet in the room. They were, because remember, by signing the Declaration of Independence, you're, you're giving a big middle finger to England at that time had the strongest army, the strongest Navy. And so pretty much everyone that was signing was thinking, it's oh, I'm going to hang warrant. for I'm going to, yeah, it's a death warrant. I'm going to, I'm going to hang for this for sure. And so, um, from, from July 4th, uh, 1776, then we had 1778, George Washington celebrated by doubling the, um, the rum rations for his soldiers. Hell yes. So, so I don't know. Yeah, this was, a uh, for many, many years, not just way back then, I think up until World War One, World War Two. Soldiers had had booze rations, rum rations, because you know they could die at any minute. So they were like the least that we can and do. You couldn't drink. You couldn't drink the water. It was unsafe. Booze, booze, and <clears throat> cigarettes. Yeah, we we talked about that on a previous episode. How in the olden days, like Jesus times, it was safer safer to drink uh, wine, booze, than it was to water because then you get cholera and everything. Eighteen seventy, uh, it became an unpaid government holiday. Nine, it wasn't until nineteen thirty eight that it became a paid government holiday. Uh, also, so uh, John Hancock was the first to sign because he was the president of the con- uh, the um, Constitutional Convention, and so he had the first signature. He had a very ornate signature, and that's where we get John Hancock today and say, oh. Gotta put, your John John Han- put your John, John Hancock there because John Hancock was like, I am the first one to sign basically my my death warrant. Oh, our overseas like better- people might not even know that. Yeah, so we use the term put your John Hancock here as your mm-hmm. signature. As your signature, it's right? And that and that's where, where it came from. Yeah. Uh for most of uh the military bases for july 4 to this day they they do 50 gunshots they do it uh about noon or it's their military so they probably do it exactly at noon on july 4th um some also interesting facts regarding july 4th thomas jefferson t jeff and john adams who they were like friends and they were friend of me they have a very very complicated history which we should get into eventually <laughs> they were they, lovers they quarreled they both uh, no no they were not lovers Sean Esquire. they were men they were i'm sorry people like dudes that are lovers i don't mean i don't mean to take that i'm just saying t jeff and uh, and and jay adams they were uh, probably jeff. not lovers jeff. and then uh, they, <laughs> they both died July 4th, 1826, 50 years later. Uh, so they, they both, yeah. Well, why, why, why do you want to put them in a musical? That's fine. Uh, a little, a little side note from my end. Also the star spangled banner is actually an English drinking song. That's what that came from. And also regarding July 4th from my end as a physician, uh, I don't work July 4th. I haven't worked July 4th for many years. And that's no, because no doctors are, do, right? 
there are around 91,000 ER visits between July 4th and July 5th. Obviously, thousands of firework injuries. So don't don't really don't really do that. Uh, yeah, don't myself. hold on to the firework. When don't you do, I mean, there's there's many many things to do regarding don't hurt yourself with fireworks. And so uh, I no longer work July 4th around that time. Very crazy busy. God mm. bless all the uh, first responders that that work. Ever the EMTs, the ambulance, and the nurses, doctors, everybody. I, I don't do it. It's um it's too much. It's there's only so much that you can handle. Uh, I wanted to comment that there was 56 signatures on the uh, on the Constitution, the actual Constitution itself, and that um, from them, they they were grouped by states on it. So the Georgia was at the top and went all the way down to New Hampshire, and also from all of this regarding oh it was signed on it was signed on the fourth and then they were there and everything else there was a legal historian his name was wilford ritz great name in 1986 he said that about 34 delegates signed the signed the declaration on july 4th the others signed on or around august the 2nd and he also argued that in gross copy of the declaration was signed by congress on july 4th by jefferson adams franklin Who's, uh, so it was implausible that those guys were not there. So again, not everyone signed on that day. There was a lot of dispute. But Here's my conspiracy theory on it. I think the ones that waited to sign were like, let's see if the other guys get killed. Mm-hmm. And if they don't, yeah. then we'll put our names on it a month later. Yeah, you don't want, uh, you know, certain when you are uh, creating, um, I don't know if it would be considered treason back then, mm-hmm. if when you're like breaking with the uh, old King George III, you don't want to be the first one to do it, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to yeah. be the, you don't want to be the last wait one. Wait them out, to, see, see what happens to right. them first. And then the, uh, the famous quote from all of that, well, I say the famous quote, do you know the famous quote from Benjamin Franklin regarding the signing of the Declaration of Independence and the, the fact that they were basically like signing their death warrants, like you said? Mm. His famous quote? Mm-hmm. Jefferson, uh, I'm sorry, uh, Benjamin Franklin, old old Ben Frank. The guy that has a famous... created electricity. Right, he 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 created it. Right, the Egyptians didn't have it thousands of years before. Yeah, so Benjamin Franklin had a famous quote saying, "We must all uh, hang together." Um, mm. Wait, we must or or we will hang up hang apart re- regarding like signing of the Constitution. I wonder if I missed that. We we should all yeah, we must all uh, we got to hang hang together. Anyway, they were, they were going to be hung. That was, uh, hang that out. Was the story we all had. hang together. <laughs> we gotta. Hang together, or we should surely hang apart. Definitely the, wanted John the, Adams there. That's a that's a Benjamin Franklin, and so um, maybe maybe his uh, neurosyphilis had not kicked in. Then that's that's the July Fourth. That's uh, you know, God bless America, and I don't think any other country in the history of the world has had that kind of revolution, that kind of sea change. Never mind the fact that 1776, those were all horses and carriages. And now we're going to the moon. We split the atom. Like what country has done that? God bless America. England hasn't done that. Who split the atom? England, right? Okay. <laughs> That's right. 
Yeah. Happy so birthday. God bless America. And happy, happy, uh, happy birthday, America. Happy July 4th to everyone. And uh, yes, there is some debate about what was signed, when it was signed, everything. We landed on the 4th. We're going with the 4th. There it is. Hey, you want to know something else that England hasn't done? July yes. 4th, 1997, the U.S. successfully landed the Mars Pathfinder mission and the Sojourner rover on the Martian surface. There you go. I mean, all right. I feel like at this at this point we're we're kind of just slam dunking on England. British think, people were we yeah. didn't want to we didn't want to make this episode entirely like in your face. Like we have I mean you guys burned the White House. We have to make some of it. That was but, uh, NASA's yeah, like right. poke the bear, like, oh, right. July fourth, we're putting a rover <laughs> on Mars. No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant, yeah. I don't know how many how many British uh, rovers are on Mars. None that I know of. Like, oh wow, man, that's rough. That's rough. That's rough. Also, everyone do have one, actually. <laughs> <laughs> we're not experts on all the rovers on Mars. Uh, yeah, everybody, uh, feel free to get mad at us over facts. Right? We didn't. Mm-hmm. We didn't make all these things happen. We're not the Sean Esquire and I didn't get together and say let's make sure the Brits never get a rover on on Mars. So. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I'm so, not. In, go ahead. I'm not was, entirely familiar with the with the British space space program. I'm just saying we went to the moon, we split the atom, we saved the world from that. I mean, you know, the list goes on. And and the Brits are like thousands of years old. They piss off people for a long time. We're not that old. The U.S. is not that old. Yeah. So this mission, nobody wanted to take it originally. Everyone's like, oh, I don't want to be on the the pathfinder mission team what if we fail epically trying to get a rover onto the martian surface but they did um this was the first mission uh sorry it was the mission that marked the first time the airbag landing technique was used to cushion the impact of landing that was successful and then this so the the mission is called the pathfinder mission the rover is called, Do you think the original name of the mission was more cushion for the pushin? I that was probably their backup one. That's what they said when it landed. Okay, <laughs> I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I couldn't I couldn't the, resist. I'm the, sorry. The rover was named Sojourner, and it spent 83 days of a planned seven day mission exploring the Martian terrain. And this thing was small. Like the rover was like the size of a microwave. That now they're oh, like, wow. they're much bigger. Um, right. But it had, you know, six wheels and it, it had its little landing deal and these arms or these ramps pop out and then the rover can drive down the ramp and basically explore a small radius around it. Um, and this thing was fast, Dr. Blunt, lightning fast. It traveled at the pace of 0.6 meters per minute. Okay. So Point six meters is like, like two feet just or a foot and a half. <laughs> <laughs> it's fast. It's fast as shit. We don't use meters. We use yards. So I don't know right. how they translate that to yardage. No, but, one, no one knows. You know, it's about a foot and a half. This thing <laughs> would go a foot and a half every minute. It's not fast. I bet Tesla is working on some like zero, quick zero to 60 time on the Martian surface. Um, but yeah, that was the first time that, uh, we had put a rover 
up there. I think they had sent, uh, you know, satellite stuff or probes to kind of get some data on what was going on on the Martian surface. But uh, in the research I did, because I even came across, it was like, oh, interesting things found on the Martian surface. But a lot of it was just crap that came out of the actual, like, sh not shuttle, but whatever the, the landing craft when it would hit and it would blow plastic out or things like, cause they're like, Oh, they found plastic on Mars. Was there life here before? And it was like, no, no, this was just a piece of the lander when it hit the ground. Um, so they still haven't found life on Mars. So no Martians that I know of. That we know. I mean, they probably did. They're, they're going to keep that under their hats. Oh yeah. Good point. That's part of the conspiracy. So a lot of people might not know this, but there have been six successful robotic operated rovers going, going to Mars. That, those are the successful ones. So yeah, they got some that are as big as humans now. It's a total of eight rovers have been launched to Mars. Only seven of them landed successfully. And as of February, three are currently operational. Yeah, those so are the bigger guys. They just keep shipping these things up there. What are they doing with the rover number seven, eight that they weren't doing with like two, three, four? Um, well, I think, you know, I, I kind of wondered, I didn't, maybe this will be a follow-up thing. They only planned that the Sojourner rover was going to last seven days. And it it lasted the seven days. And they said, well, let's just keep it operational. Right. And it ran another 83 days. So I don't know did like the batteries that were used on them die off after a certain time? It's like you're using your iPhone too much and then it just can't keep a charge. Yeah. I mean, they're not, they're not plugged in, but the, the other thing is like the Voyager missions from the, uh, from the seventies, those things have left the solar system supposedly. And they didn't, they didn't think that it would, they would be going this long. So these, these are still going. So, uh, you know, NASA gets a lot of things right. And, uh, but that, you know, that being said, there's, they got they got to have a small parking lot of rovers on Mars. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and in the movie The Martian, actor Matt Damon made communication back to Earth with the Sojourner rover from the Pathfinder mission. The so, little one. He found he found the little, little guy. The, the yep. little guy, and he was like, "I'm going to use this to uh, to not die in space to communicate back to back to Earth." Yeah, so. it's one of the fifteen movies that uh, that Matt Damon gets lost in space or whatever. Yep. Yeah, don't he go to space of, with Matt Damon. He has too many movies where he's lost in space or whatever. I feel. Yeah, there's so. there's not enough maps about space to tell you which way to go. Okay. I, I think that's the problem. Right. Well, I'm I'm very excited. You know, Elon's going to get us there, and 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 I agree with Elon that he says you know we have to be. We have to be a multi-planet species, so so high five to that, and high five to NASA for uh, also. I agree with you on the July Fourth thing. High oh, five, yeah. high five to NASA, and high five to science. Yep, hundred percent. Moving up to July the sixth, uh, July sixth, nineteen ninety four. Sean Esquire. Um, hang on, I was looking something up real quick. Oh, were you looking up rovers? I, I go ahead and look up uh look up stuff. July 6, ninety four. We have a summer blockbuster. Oh, Sean S. Forrest Gump. There we go. <laughs> we like to talk about the summer blockbusters, especially the golden age. I say the golden age, the golden age of Hollywood. July 6, ninety four. 
Forrest Gump is one of the best movies in the history of movies ever. Fun Esquire. Fun Gump. Yeah, I've seen it many times. Great soundtrack, by the way. Maybe the best soundtrack of any movie ever. Yeah. I might. I could I could maybe stand by that. I can't think of any other movie off the top of my head that has a better soundtrack. Um, the only other ones that really stick out to me is Guardians. But it's also like, you know, 70s hits. So... Guardians, I think, may be close second, but also it it lacks the historical. I think teeth. That, I think that's why we like Forrest Gump so much because it ties in so much historical events, right? And you're like, this idiot was just there and had some something to do with it. I think the like you know they had like back in the '90s they had like Jock Jams, Jock Jams too, whatever. So Forrest Gump had like Vietnam Jams, so uh-huh. just that just to have like the CCR and the doors and, and I'm such a huge, huge fan of that era of music. Um, you know, regardless of all the other stuff. So your fortunate yeah. son playing that's when, yeah, you know. I mean, shit goes down, man. I mean, fortunate son comes on, you're going to, you're going to go do like 50 squat thrust immediately. You, you, you're getting some shit done. Like yep. any, any, Fogarty or CCR. So July 6, 1994, Forrest Gump, biggest movie that summer, biggest movie that year for sure. Yeah. Do you know any any facts about Forrest Gump, Sean Esquire? Uh, the, while, I, while I drink my beer. <laughs> um, let me think here. Facts on Forrest Gump. Hmm. Well, I can tell you this. The lead actor was Tom Hanks. He, he was the lead actor. Forrest Gump ended up bringing home Best Picture, okay. Best Best Director, Best Actor, like you said, Tom Hanks. Tom. It was a there was a bunch of other awards as well. This is uh, originally from a book by this guy Winston Groom. He wrote the book in '86. Uh, I read the book many many years ago. It's a fun book. I recommend it for anyone. Forrest Gump does a truckload more stuff in the book than he does in the movie. He's like a chess Did you player. Read the book first. No, 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 no. I read it because of the movie. So like, like you're else. reading it and you're thinking Tom Hanks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, in the book, he was a wrestler named the Dunce. Uh, he <laughs> was uh, One of the best parts of the book uh, was he was an astronaut for NASA. And then he ended up getting like a monkey sidekick. I can't remember the name of the monkey, but he, he had a monkey sidekick. There was this a movie named... based on that. Rocket Man? I think was yeah, the name of the movie. Hit- Maybe they they got that from the from the book. The Forrest Gump movie inspired the Bubba Gump Shrimp Company with uh, the um, the restaurants. restaurants. Yeah, I can't think of any other movie that inspired a restaurant ever. They have restaurants all around the world. Can you? Um, no, because Carl's Jr. was already out when Austin Powers came about. Right. Yeah, and even the Hard Rock. Well, not, I say the Hard Rock, uh, the Hollywood, Hollywood, whatever the hell. They oh, they weren't yeah, really cafe, Hard Rock cafe. They weren't a movie. They were based on a bunch of crap, and they put a bunch of crap on their walls, and they had crappy food and everything. I've never eaten at a Bubba Gump Shrimp Company. I think they're still around. But here's an interesting factoid on Bubba Gump: is that uh, Chris Pratt from Guardians of the Galaxy, he worked at a Bubba Gump place, and that's where he was discovered by a director and then he went on to be in in, uh, in the guardians i need to he be was a, a yeah, waiter 
He was a waiter. Yeah. That guy lived a very, Chris Pratt was like homeless for a long time and he, he lived an interesting life. The Elvis guy in Forrest Gump, the guy that does the Elvis voice, mm-hmm. Kurt, Kurt Russell. That's Kurt Russell doing the oh, Elvis voice. Lovely yeah. hair. Yeah. Yeah. That's him. Oh, Kurt Russell. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. This guy has never had a bad hair day in his life. Always, best, always best hair in the world. Stuff. Right. And then Kurt Russell was also in guardians. He was, he was the dad. So there's a, you know, there's a lot of like two degrees of separation there. Also a common mistake is some a Mandela effect of Forrest Gump is that he did not say life is like a box of chocolates. Mm. That wasn't, that wasn't like the quote, quote. What was the quote? A lot of people. It was a, like a life is like chocolates or mama always said life is like chocolate, something like that. I got to I got to look at the quote, quote, but commonly, commonly uh, Mandela effect in terms of uh, remembering the incorrect one. And a lot of people don't know this. Sally Field was the mom for uh, for uh, Tom Hanks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, slept with the Sally. principal to get him in the school. Oh, my God. That was a great scene. So funny. So funny. Uh, Sally Field is only um something like a little around 10 years older than tom hanks obviously not old enough to be his mom but and, it was a kid playing tom hanks at that scene it wasn't like 40 year old tom hanks with you know a mental condition 30 year old mom yeah but she yeah but he had to show up eventually and he was like oh mama's dying so but, yeah so these two actors were not that far apart and Sally Field, Tom Hanks, they were in a movie together uh, called Punchline in the 80s about comedians. People forget that Tom Hanks was like a, a comedian guy before he was a mega, mega star. Oh, so, so was that before Big? Because mm, it had to be the same time frame, right? Around that time, yeah. It was in the 80s because he, he was doing stand-up comedy and then he did that movie Punchline with Sally Field and he and he was uh, like basically like helping God. her become uh become a stand-up he has done so, some of the, like great movies done it all yeah oh my god done it all yeah he's um if he's not the biggest movie star from our generation he's he's one of the biggest and for forrest gump it grows something like 678.2 million more than jaws more than jaws it had a budget of around 55 million more than um, jaws which, Oh. <laughs> Which I don't, I don't believe that whole budget because I think, I think Tom, uh, I think Tom Hanks uh, had like a, a lot from that. So he gets paid like um, forty million of it. Yeah, no, no, that, that's actually something like forty, forty-four. You know, he did the residuals and all that stuff because he negotiated on the contract that he was going to get the back end. And um, one thing I've learned with our podcast is when you look at movies and there's a famous thing about Hollywood accounting. How mm-hmm. they like they they do movies. It's famous that they say, "Oh, the movie cost this, but it, but it took in this, but it actually took in that." And so, whenever we talk about the bottom line of a movie, the bottom line is not the bottom line. There is this whole science of Hollywood accounting when it comes to movies that that I, I, we don't know. I don't I, certainly I don't know. So that is Forrest Gump. If you haven't seen it, shame on you. Go see it. And it's a great film. No, amazing, amazing. Worth worth one one thing. Let me let me say one thing about Forrest Gump. Jenny in Forrest Gump is the worst villain in the history of all the villains of any movie ever. Jenny's the worst, 
and no one no one should like Jenny or she feel sad for drugs. Jenny or anything like that. So there is a it's a famous meme for Forrest Gump, and it's something to the effect of I'm going to mess it up, but it's something to the effect of um of a you know self centered vacuous girl friend zones special needs guy for <laughs> thirty years until she runs out of money, and uh, you know what. She designed. She deserved to die of AIDS. I'm gonna. I'm gonna just gonna say that. Throw that out there. I mean, Everybody she, can get mad. She did give uh, Forrest a seat on the bus, though. So right. Yeah. She started out sweet. Yeah. Do you think? Do you think that that's like a humanitarian thing that a that a non special needs person is like? Oh, I'm gonna gonna hook up with the special needs person because i'm a good person that's why i mean all those other boys on the bus were like seats taken right oh that's another thing one of the people on the one of i say the people one of the kids on the bus that said hey the seats taken uh that was a uh, tom hanks's kid in real life oh really the little, yeah one of the little oh, girls shit. girl <laughs> little little girl with uh really blue eyes uh i can't remember anyway that's one of uh, that's one of Tom Hanks. That's Tom Hanks' daughter. One of his daughters. I don't know how many kids kids he has. Anyway, the one of the 80. kids on the bus that says, "Hey, this seat's taken." That's uh, that's Tom Hanks' daughter in real life. So oh. also, J- Jenny is the worst worst villain in all the history of villains. So that part, everyone, when you watch the movie, don't get sucked into all that. Just be like, "Oh, yeah, Jenny is a piece of shit," and "Oh, she died of AIDS." Oh no! So she, you know, oh. she gave him a good. Good kid. That man and, uh, from that star movie cut off his son's hand. Uh, star movie? With the light blade, he chopped off his hand. <laughs> the, movie. The, guy from, the guy from the star movie. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I mean, he didn't have like, um, you know, like, hey, have AIDS. I'm going to have sex with uh, and like, whatever. Yeah. And then, uh, oh, he didn't, he didn't, for everybody that is uh, in the dark here, Sean Esquire is referencing Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. And at no point in any movie did Darth Vader stick Luke Skywalker with a kid and be like, hey, good luck with the kid. I'm going to go die of AIDS. That's, that's, a, that's a dick move, everybody. Don't do that. Don't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yes. Luke Skywalker got his hand cut off, but it's, you know, he got a robot hand, which was really cool and it worked. So glass is half full. July 9, 1850. 1850? That would have yeah, been Civil War going, era. Going. Really? 1850? Do you think that's when the Civil War was? Well, 1860, but it, this was leading up to it. Okay, yeah. Okay. Uh, this is a uh, Zachary Taylor dies. This is the oh, number shit. two, number two president dies, and um, this is this is pretty interesting story. Number one president dies. Who's number one? So Zachary Taylor was uh, president number twelve, by the way. Sean Esquire. Oh, who was the first president to die? First president of the U.S. to die. Um, as I try to go- Harrison. Yeah, Harrison, there you go. Nailed it. Yes. William Henry Harrison, uh, he was ninth ninth president, and he only made it 31 days. So we'll we'll cover that when it comes to his time. Well, right now, we're here to talk about Zachary Taylor. Zachary Taylor died 
16 months in office, 12th president, and he died at the tender age of 65. Zachary Taylor, known for many, many things. He was a army hero, just from head to toe, absolute army hero. He was in the army for 40 years. He fought all the wars back then, all of them. He did 1812. He did the Black Hawk War. He did the Second uh, Seminole War. I don't know anything about the First Seminole War. He got really, really famous in the Mexican-American War at one point, like, charging into Mexico, and then he kept going. And then at one point, they were, they, like, his his um, supervisors, his <laughs> supervisors, his, his bosses, his uh, commanding officers, they were like, hey, that's enough. Stop going into Mexico. And he was like, nope, I'm going to keep going and killing and killing Mexico. And, and he did. He just kept going, and his commanding officers were like, Dude, you're already in Mexico. You've killed a lot of people. Stop doing. It. He's like, no, no, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep doing it. So he, he kept doing that, and he Zachary Taylor got himself a, a grand old nickname. These guys in the old days of America, in the early days of the U.S., a lot of presidents had military backgrounds, and when you get a military background, you get a nickname. So he got a great nickname, Old Rough and Ready. Old that rough was, and ready. Old, old rough and ready. I Zachary think that's the Taylor. nickname of this beer I'm drinking. Old rough and ready <laughs> is like the name of one of the best pornos ever. <laughs> she, she was seventy. Old rough and you. I mean, just about anything. You know, you can you can be like uh, Ford releases its new truck. Old rough and ready. You're like okay, yeah. yeah I'll, I'll, I'll probably buy that. Is it? Is it an EV? You know, like, it's an oh, EV. Uh, oh, Johnson and Johnson releases its new condom, old, rough and ready. I'm like, okay, well, that's a that's a no brainer there. So, <laughs> it comes with ten yeah. miles on it. Old. <laughs> well, Zachary Taylor was old, rough, rough and ready, but he was not old, rough and ready for. Milk and cherries, because that is what killed. That's what killed Zachary Taylor. It's a bad in, combo. Uh, in eighteen fifty. Yeah. So uh, he went to a July Fourth picnic, uh, as as one does. As, yeah. When you when you go Fireworks. to a picnic, when you go right, you go to a picnic and you're like, hey, July Fourth, America's the best, and you're like, hey, 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 you guys, don't hog all the milk and cherries. Just bring it, bring, bring. I'm Zachary Taylor. I'm gonna. He probably he probably hogged it. He was like, "I'm a guy. I'm the president." You want to chomp, 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 chomp. Do you want a steak, Zach? No, just give me the bucket of cherries. Cherries all over his shirt. He was like, "I'm rough and ready. I'm rough and ready. Ah, I love milk and cherries." So that's what he did. So he had milk and cherries. And the 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 thought the is that he he got, he got cholera. So one of the things that people don't know is uh, Washington D.C. has been disgusting for many 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 years. So back then they had open sewers, so everyone got col everyone got cholera. There was poop. There was poop on everything. There was poop well, on you cherries. Don't and drink the water. That's right. Right. Yeah. Jesus knew. He was like, yeah, drink the wine. You'll be you'll be okay. So. Um, yeah, that's what happened. He, he, I don't, I'm, it's not fair for me to say he gorged himself on <laughs> milk and cherries, but it did cost him his life. <laughs> he went to the July 4th thing. Yeah. Yeah. So in the course of all of this, there was a theory that came about 
that he was poisoned, right? Because everyone loves a lo- everyone loves a good, good conspiracy. Conspiracy, theory. yep. Right, old old Rough and Ready. He was he was poisoned by Rough and Ready cyanide or whatever. So in the 1980s, there was this lady, Clara Rising, a professor. I think she's a professor of English. Eventually, ended up over at the University of Florida, and then she convinced the family of Zachary Taylor, like, "Hey, you got to exhume the body." You know, the, he was murdered, and then you know, probably uh, Millard Fillmore, his vice president, he was involved, and. So they did all that. So she, Clara Rising, convinced the family, exhume the body, do all the forensics and blah, blah, blah. They did all that. Guess what? No cyanide, no poison, none of that. He did actually die from cholera. Did act, well, we say cholera, it's gastroenteritis. He died from, from the cherries and the milk. Um, probably, I'm going to guess cholera or, or E. coli because DC, what it was. Clara Rising, the professor from the 80s, from uh, University of Florida. Hey, maybe let's not listen to professors from University of Florida. And uh, she convinced the family, dug him up for nothing. So, yeah, Zachary Taylor died 1850. Uh, Cherries and milk, that's the story. Everyone's sticking to it. Not poisoned. Wikipedia uh, doesn't even like him. I googled just about Zachary Taylor and the little blurb that comes up on Google from Wikipedia says... Taylor died suddenly of a stomach disease on July 9th, 1850, with his administration having accomplished little aside from the ratification of the Clayton-Bulwer Treaty and having made no progress on the most divisive issue in Congress and the nation, slavery. Slavery, correct. So yeah. he didn't... Yeah. How, how, I have to look this up. How long was he in office? No, he died 16 months in, in Oh, so he's a year and a half-ish, close. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, there was red tape then and there's red tape. Now, like, is the red tape now is like so much worse. Oh, but, it's got to be yeah, way I mean, worse he, now. He, he had a lot. So that was that's how the poisoning theory came about, because as soon as he died, then all of these things that he had been. I don't know if he was like fighting against them or just like backlogging them. Then they got pushed. It was the the, the compromise. I can't remember the name of it. Yeah, you're talking about it. red tape. Imagine how easy it had to be for George Washington. Like if he wanted something done. It's probably like, hey, you know, we're all free now because of me, and I'm the first president. Let's just there was no there was no precedent. Let's just pass it, this. <laughs> he would just go in. What was the story? He had the story. Uh, the story. Well, remember, he yes. only vetoed two things, and one was like limiting the size of the army. He's like, nope, not doing that. Right, and then and then he did. It was so there was nothing formal he would just set a precedence he was like two terms that's good they didn't really need they didn't need anything until fdr was like i'm on my fourth term and i and i had a hemorrhagic stroke so (laughs) so uh anyway one thing i encourage everyone is you know try to get an idea of the presidents that died what i'm learning today on here don't don't drink a bucket of chilled milk and don't eat a bucket of cherries If you're gonna drink milk and like consume cherries, I don't know if it's if it's mass quantity. Don't do it in the 1850s because DC don't was disgusting. Them. Yeah, they had what they had. You know, cholera back then. I, I would be very interested to see how many people from that party died. You know, they didn't have oh, the yeah. CDC back then. Yeah, they can go back and say, oh, all these people. I, that that's a you know, instead of digging up 
all the <laughs> exhume the body <laughs> yeah instead of uh digging up the uh the uh, old rough and ready like maybe go back and do some actual forensics some actual um uh quality control and Although, look at all the people that died only, from that party he might have been the only one that died because they were probably like oh nobody else can eat the president's cherries yeah, I mean, there's that. And then if somebody you know, wanted to poison them, they, they could have just rub, rub poop. So I just wanted to point out here that some people, they would they would make jokes about uh, rough and ready. Mm-hmm. And they would say, oh, oh, there's a there's a rough and ready tampons or, oh, there's a, you know, rough, rough and ready uh, abortion rough and ready clinic. Black yeah, we, rifle we, coffee we, company. We, we, we didn't do that. We kept it, you know, we, we kept it right. We were going to honor, we're going to honor Zachary Taylor. July 10, 1925. We are moving, moving into the 20th century. And this is the scopes. as uh, designated as the monkey trial. Sean Esquire, this is a uh, this is law stuff. You should mm-hmm. you should be. You should be <laughs> yeah, this like, dealt with the uh, states were trying to ban monkeys from teaching about evolution. Oh, I thought That's... they were trying to get rid of monkeys. No, they were like, okay, the Bible says we were just there was a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, and they had sexual relations, and they created a baby. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, how do you make another? They make another baby, and then there was a lot of inbreeding going on. It's too much, and and there was more inbreeding. I might and, I might be ready, but I'm not rough and ready. And yeah, so they were like, "This is how we all got here, just all inbreeding." And this teacher was like, "You know what? There was this guy named Darwin that said there's a chance." that that book might be wrong and maybe we all evolved from other beings. It's a possibility that it's still, still debatable. This is Dayton, Tennessee. It's a small town of Dayton. This is 1925 and Sean Esquire is correct. This is a very tumultuous time in the United States, a very tumultuous time in the world that science was just kind of starting to get there. Now, just think in 1925, people were debating regarding the uh, the actual relevance and um, and uh, facts of uh, of evolution. 1945, we're you know splitting the atom, so that's a very short amount of time. 1925, Dayton, Tennessee. This is well, so they called it the Scopes Monkey Trial. This is the state of Tennessee. The official name is the real name is the state of Tennessee versus john thomas scopes the trial itself a lot of people forget only lasted from july 10 to july 21 so not a super duper long trial that's kind of long actually is it really yeah yeah i mean i've done several like major felony trials that last five days you know oh wow well i mean that's now do you think back then they had to draw it out a little bit Oh, maybe they were only there for like 30 minutes at a time back then. So, yeah, a couple things I'll say about it is that one is, uh, before getting like too ahead of myself, there's um, there's a there's a farcical aspect to this famous, famous trial. And the, the part of it is that 
not a heck of a lot was going on in Dayton, Tennessee back in 1925. So there was a lot of engineered, we're going to, we're going to do this trial. It's going to bring in a lot of press. It's going to bring in a lot of tourists. And so they, you know, there's that part of it. 1925 Dayton, Tennessee, they had in Tennessee, they already had the Butler act and the Butler act is, as you had mentioned, Butler act was basically saying, we're, you know, you can't teach um, evolution in, te- in Tennessee schools. And so they got this guy, John, John Scopes, who was a football coach. He's 24 years old at the time. Think about what what you were doing at 24. And he was not even the science teacher. He was the, he was the science sub. The ACLU was a fairly new organization at that time. They hired this rock star uh, defense attorney, Clarence DeRoe. And then for the opposing side coming in, they're going to, they're going to go after this guy, John, John Scopes, ACL, ACLU, ACLU told John Scopes, which for those who don't know is the American civil liberties union. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They, they, you know, they do a lot of great things. They do a lot of not great things. And so they, they got with John Scopes and they said, look, you're going to, you're going to be brought down for this and whatever else. At some point, John Scopes had said through the course of this, he was like, I don't even know if I taught evolution or not. They, they had just had, <laughs> yeah, no, they just used him as kind of a scapegoat. They knew it was going to come to a head. They knew that the Butler Act was very contentious. They knew all of these things. They knew that evolution was getting more and more evidence and all these other things. And so they, they took advantage of it and they said, we're going to use this to make, to put Dayton, Tennessee on the map. And they did. They got a rock star. Clarence Durow for uh, the defense. And they got this other guy, William Jennings Bryan, right, to to do the prosecution. W- William Jennings Bryan, no um no uh no schmuck, right? He was actually a former Secretary of State. Mm. So these are heavy duty attorneys. The judge is this guy, John Paul John Ralston, who I don't know if he did it up to that point. But in the early days, for sure, he opened every session of, of uh, you know, the court with a prayer. Okay. So this is, this is what, yeah, this is what you're dealing with. And then in the course of this, so the judge says, hey, the let scientists, us pray for justice today that they, your Holy Spirit will lead this jury down the correct path. How many times have you gone to court? And they said, we're going to start court with a prayer. Never. I have been to court where we started with the Pledge of Allegiance, though. That was a little awkward. I could see that, but yes, also weird. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, it was a so... small county, East Texas. Wow, it's <laughs> crazy. Not gonna, um, not gonna name it, but you've you've right, been in that um, county. Oh. You were at a hospital out there. No, no, no. I know. Um, yeah. There, there are... <laughs> Yeah, there there's some uh, there's a lot of counties throughout the U.S. that um, that that's what the Supreme Court is for, and so in in this uh, in 1925, then they had the Baltimore Sun was funding the defense. They they did a big fund for the defense. The Baltimore Sun is actually the ones that called it the monkey trial. So a lot of people were taking advantage of this. Baltimore Sun said we're going to get a lot of press. We're going to sell a lot of papers from this. The Dayton, Dayton, Tennessee people, they got together and they said, oh, we're going to have the trial here because it's going to give us tourism and all these other things. And so this is the first U.S. trial on radio. 
So this oh. is the 1925 version of OJ name, Simpson. There you go. Yeah, nailed it. Nice, dude. Awesome. Yes. So this is the, you know, this is the 1925 version of the OJ Simpson trial. And the country was really, really keyed in because this is a riveting. This is the biggest thing, right? This is science versus the Bible. They they really put a head to head here. And 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 at that time, you know, also people forget sometimes the country came from very, 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 very religious background. The people we didn't that want that. The people that made the Constitution, Thomas Jefferson, the people that built the country, James Madison, those guys, they were not very religious. Those no, guys that were, is, that's why the pilgrims fled. They're like, That's we don't what, want to be persecuted. The the uh, founding fathers were very big on separation of church and state. It's it's very, very common sense. And so these are all the things coming to a head. And what happened was, so the trial itself it has a lot of uh, just this um, like, uh, like fanfare comic kind of thing. At one point, it got so hot... <laughs> in the in the courthouse that the judge said we're gonna have uh we're gonna have court outside today everybody remember when you were in high school and they were like oh let's have let's have class outside today because it's a nice day they actually did that they had court outside at least one day of the trial because it was so hot the biggest thing on the trial i say the biggest thing the most um like i've never heard of this before william jennings bryan the prosecutor right at one point they, uh, the, uh, defendant guy, uh, he said, take the stand. And so the prosecuting attorney ended up on the stand to defend, uh, you know, this, um, this, this uh, but the, yeah, the Butler act. Have you ever heard in your life, the prosecuting attorney, like having to take the stand because it became the, the thing was the, the judge said, well, I don't want to, I don't want to hear any of these experts. So the, um, the ACLU guy, he said, uh, he said, oh, I've got all these uh, scientists and I've got all these professors and everything like that, uh, Clarence, Clarence Darrow, and the judge just shut it down. He said, we're not going to do any of that. So from the very, very get-go, the judge was basically just siding with the prosecution. A little biased. You know, it would have been great, though, to be the prosecutor on that and put a monkey in a cage <laughs> there during the whole trial and then at the end be like, has this guy turned into a human? No. <laughs> I like I like how your brain, how your brain works, but I also like how you're you're like on the prosecution side. Well, so, not I just no gotta, no I gotta, get it. No, gotta you got to think both ways here. No, that's what they did. These the, when they went when both sides like they they broke for the night. They both went to their separate corners. And they both had a whole team of people that would just um, hammer them as the opposing side, right? Yeah. That's, so if that... I was defense, I would have put a monkey in a cage on day one. And day two, I would have like shaved its hair a little bit before I brought mm -hmm. it back out to set in court and be like, holy right. shit, this thing is, it's turning into a human. You know, and by like the last day, I've got some guy that volunteered to be in the cage and be like, here, here it is. Yeah. What and then prosecution on on like day two or three, he would have someone dressed as Jesus just pop out of the shadows and be like wrong, wrong, wrong. whatever. Like uh, case closed. That's what. <laughs> so William Jennings Brining ended up taking the stand. Right, the 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 prosecution guy, 
uh, because because the experts were not allowed to testify. And then uh, and then so Darrow and him, this is famous, 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 famous. And then so Darrow actually was very well versed in the Bible. So he just hammers him with all this stuff. All of this is being broadcast to the United States. And it was just accepted that Barrow won, that Barrow's points were very valid. He was, you know, saying like, well, where did, where did the, the wife of, uh, you know, not Adam and Eve, but where did, you know, where did that come from and all these other things? So towards the end, Darrow decided to not do a summation and the, and the law in Tennessee at that time was that if the defense says, Hey, I'm not doing a summation, then the prosecution doesn't do a summation. So just shut that down. And then, and then that was it. The jury took, um, all of like nine minutes to come back and say, okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, (laughs) never nine, nine minutes is not good. I've been in enough so, trials to know quick jury <laughs> verdicts don't go well for defendants. Yeah. So, I mean, from the get go, basically the judge was saying like, Oh, um, you know, the evolution is the worst and, and the Bible is the best. And so, uh, scopes was found guilty. He was fined, uh, I think a hundred dollars, which is around $1,700 now, but the verdict was overturned on a technicality because the, um, Supreme court said that the jury was supposed to uh, was supposed to so make the decision, not the judge. Yeah. So that that's how it got turned over, and then so a couple of other things. The Supreme Court upheld the Butler Act, uh, but then it was uh, repealed in 1967. So all of that for nothing from 1925 to 1967. Science will find a way, or as they say in Jurassic Park, uh, life will find a way, and then Ooh. Brian. Yeah, there, there you go. Uh, the the uh, prosecuting guy, he died five days after the trial. Very sad. Because of evolution. Because uh, God struck him down. It was God. it was supposed supposedly supposedly from yeah. God was very pissed. He was like, "I made evolution for a reason, you stupid idiot." And then so, <laughs> so apparently it was a. I think it was complications of diabetes that the prosecuting guy. Uh, got struck down by God five days later. The townspeople of Dayton, Tennessee, to this day, reenact the trial every year. Way to go, Dayton, Tennessee. You know, people oh. are always going People are always going out there to Dayton, Tennessee. They're like, oh, it's, that's, that's where we want a vacation. I should, I should try to get on the defense team and do my whole uh, monkey in a cage to man in a cage bit. <laughs> I think so. Well, no, that would, that would work out. I will hide out in the shadows, uh, dressed as Jesus Christ, and then, I'll, and then I'll pop out and be like, "Wrong, no." Yeah, you co- you come out on the day that we do the outdoor trial. Uh, yeah, because it's too hot. It's too yeah, hot. it's too hot inside. So it's when we go outside, you pop out of the bushes as Jesus. Exactly. So uh, you know, a lot of things were done wrong in the twenties and thirties, and and this is one of them. This is a famous, famous trial. It was it was a farce of a trial. Every everyone knew going into it. Basically, the the locals said we're going to do this trial. We're going to put it on the radio. We're going to be on the map. Dayton, Tennessee, is going to be like the next New York, and then um, and then everything that followed. So, <laughs> but never never in my life have ever heard of a of a defense attorney telling the prosecutor, "Why don't you get on the stand since you know the Bible so well 
And then, and then, well, even then he handed him his ass and everybody around the country was listening like, Oh my God, this is great. Awesome. All right. July 11. Yeah. Moving on. July 11. 1804. We're moving on to 1804. Yeah. This is one of the best stories in the history of politics. July 11, 1804, Aaron Burr slays Alexander Hamilton. The comedian? Mm, oh, that's Alexander... Bill Burr. Oh, Bill Burr. Okay. Right. Dif- different one. Maybe related. Maybe. Aaron he Burr slayed sl- him. Mm-hmm. Well, he shot he shot him. He shot him in the gut. You're getting getting ahead of ourselves. When Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton, what was his job? What was he do? <laughs> Sean Esquire. He was a uh, small town printing press operator oh. that lived in a village outside of Dayton, Tennessee. I'm yeah, guessing. unemployed actor, just a man with a dream and a and a guitar and, and a, a pocket full of change. When <laughs> Aaron Burr. When Aaron Burr shot Alexander Hamilton uh, on July 11, 1804, he was the third vice president of the United States. <laughs> people people comment on like the gun violence of the They had uh, three uh, vice presidents? <laughs> it was he was number 3 back then. Uh yes. So so the, and, the president and, didn't have three vice presidents. He was no. just Aaron Burr was number. He was the third, third vice president okay. when he shot Alexander Hamilton, a Aham. Uh, so he was also uh, Burr was the Treasury Secretary, and um, and and then Burr was uh, I think he was also a New York Senator, and then in the presidential election of eighteen hundred, what happened was Burr was running for vice president with T. Jeff mm. Thomas Jefferson, right? Yep. And then so, and then uh, T. Jeff was against John Adams. Was the incumbent? John Adams, vice president, was this dude named uh, Pink Pinkney. So Burr and Jefferson, they were not as good as Rough and Ready. Um, no way, no way. Uh, Burr and Jefferson, they were tied for first. They were tied for first place, right? And back then. It, if you were so the president, if the president won, the person that got the second amount of votes, vice president. That's how oh. they did it back then. Yeah, you didn't so have then, a running mate. Number number two became vice president. So Hamilton endorsed Jefferson for president because Jefferson was a constitutionalist. Obviously, probably Thomas Jefferson liked the Constitution, right? And, and so Jefferson won, and then Burr got VP because Burr was. Um, right, Burr right. was number two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it worked back then. But but Burr was pissed because of you know he just didn't like Hamilton. In eighteen o four, right? Burr uh, runs for uh, governor of New York, and uh, he buddies up with this uh, this group called the Essex Junto. So these guys basically they, they want New England to succeed. They want uh, the U.S. to uh, to break up. Then there was a letter from uh, that that said Hamilton doesn't support Burr, and then the letter went to the new. In those days, the the letter would go to the newspaper. So in those days, it was like Facebook and Twitter, but it was just like I wrote a letter, and then this letter went to the newspaper, and then the letter goes out to everyone. 
So Burr got pissed off with all of this because Hamilton basically said, you know what, I don't think Burr is going to be the best thing for this country. And he wasn't even like slanderous. He was mm-hmm. just like, oh, yeah, Burr wants to, you know, he wants to break up the country. He wants to break up New England or whatever. Burr says, oh, this guy's the worst. <laughs> Burr challenges Hamilton to a duel immediately. <laughs> so uh, this is... um. Back then, when you did a duel, you had a second, right? You had a BFF. So I'm doing a duel, and then you're you're my you're my second. You're my. In those days, like there's two shooters. No, no, no. There's there's one shooter, but there's a dude that backs you up, and the dude that backs you up is like he has the gun, and uh, you know like he, he just like loads it, it and everything. No, he, they make sure that the rules are being okay. Like you, like oh, um, no one is shooting early. It's a very formal kind of thing. Even though, by the way, when this happened, duels were illegal. This was a whole illegal event. So, what happens if you shoot early? Does it does the backup guy shoot you then? Like oh, you broke the rule. You should you should get murder at that time it was how it was supposed to be because okay. there's you know there's a there, there's a fine line between we agree to this duel versus you know homicide to kind right. of work that so burr's second by the way so they both have so hamilton has a second burr has a second so both of these guys will sean esquire who is uh like what job does burr's second what what does he do what's his what? job like you said, he just makes sure they follow the rules, right? No, but his job, job, like when he's not like being a second for a duel or whatever. Uh, he is probably a wordsmith uh, for mm-hmm. a local paper and also a stable hand that maintains the horses um, for a for a small coach service traveling people from D.C. to uh, upstate New York. Yeah, like a wordsmith, and he does a spoken word, and um, maybe interpretive dance on the weekends. Yeah, U.S. District Judge. <laughs> okay, this is how this is how it was in eighteen oh four, right? So Burr's second. So you got right? the VP out there. You got oh, a district yeah, real, judge. Yes, yes. You have the Vice President of the United States, and his second backing him up is a United States District Judge, right? Then you have uh, Hamilton, who's no slouch, and <laughs> Hamilton was—I'm uh, sorry—Hamilton was the um, Treasury Secretary, right? So Burr was Burr, Burr was Vice President. Hamilton was <laughs> Treasury Secretary, and Hamilton second is what is his job he, in real life? He in real life was a a uh, kind of a nomad of sorts. Uh, he actually help facilitate several of the casino developments for native American tribes years later. Um, and, and also helped to christen the, uh, Louisiana purchase. He ushered in the era of the Ruku when you do like a massage, but you don't oh, touch the, the person. Right. <laughs> so you just like do a massage, but you don't touch the person. He also invented, um, Little known fact, invented the hacky sack. No one knows where the hacky sack was. No, none of that is true. Hamilton second was also a U.S. district judge. So well, It makes sense. Yeah. The judges judging the duel? I mean, yeah. I mean, they're, they're judging a homicide of sorts, like an agreed-upon homicide. 
So in the course of this, Hamilton writes a letter because Hamilton's very like, I don't agree with this. Like, so he, he's in a sticky situation. This, <laughs> this guy that he's like, Oh, well, I've been challenged to this duel and I can't back down. I'm going to do the duel, but I'm, uh, uh, you know, my, I'm morally opposed. And so he writes this letter, the statement of impending duel with Aaron Burr. And basically the statement says, no, thank you. No, I'm doing, <laughs> I opposed to this morally. So then July 11th, 1804. So good. They both leave Manhattan, right? They both leave Manhattan by, by canoes, by, by these boats. And they, uh, and they're, and they have somebody like paddles them out separately, separate boats. Right. And they go to, where does one go to duel in 1804? Jersey, of course. Statue Right? No, no, that would make sense. Except, stupid, there was no Statue of Liberty back then. <laughs> <laughs> they went to where the monolith was for the 2001 for the for the for the apes when the when that big thing came down and the apes went around. So they went to Jersey because that's where you that's where you go. By the way, this is a famous site, famous famous site. This is called the Heights of Weehawken, which is probably like an Indian name. Also. Uh, this is the same spot where Hamilton's oldest kid, Philip, lost a duel in 1801 and died. So just three, three years. years. Wow. Yeah, 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 yeah. So his oldest son went out there. So that. That's so the not Hamiltons good. were not good shooters. The Hamiltons were—they didn't have a good uh, like numbers for uh, for duel wise. I mean, we we, oh, we only know about. We we only know about those two. Maybe the rest of them were just like total badasses, and and they got really cocky, and they were like everybody else in the family is great. So uh, the pistols came from Hamilton's brother-in-law. There's that, and then the duel starts, and then um, so Hamilton. The story goes, Hamilton fires his shot into the air, right? Because he's morally opposed to this whatever thing. So uh, hey, everybody, uh, heads up! Don't do that in a duel. In the event that you are opposed to a duel morally or whatever, um, just uh, don't show up. There's rules, very, very like rules of duel is that you can apologize anytime. The duel rules. The duel rules, right? And then uh, and then the, the duel is over when you apologize. So I don't know, like Hamilton was so, like, oh, I'm not going to shoot anybody, but he was so opposed to like he couldn't apologize. Like, you know, do I mean he had a wife and kids and stuff, so So he shoots know. into the air and he Right. Bill yeah. Burr and shoots him in the gut. Bill Bill Burr definitely shot him in the gut. Aaron Burr. Yeah, so Hamilton shoots into the air. Supposedly this is the story, right? Um the other thing that happens is a lot of people they, they turn their backs while the duel is happening because they don't want to be a witness to a fucking homicide. Like- do they start back to back and they've got to take like the 10 paces and then you turn around with the gun? Mm. Yeah, I think it's something like that. I don't know if it's 10 paces or three paces or whatever, but yeah, you you get your guns and then you go through and then you turn around and then the person says, okay, fire. And, they, and then one person fires, mm-hmm. right? And then it's like, oh, it's my turn. That's the other, that's the other person, right? <laughs> so, uh, anyway, Hamilton. The rules of the duel is that you can apologize. Either party can apologize all the way up to firing. Never happened. 
So then, uh, then Hamilton, he like shoots his, Hey, in the air. And then, and then Burr is like, all right, well, that's dumb. And then shoots him and then belly shot right, right in the belly, right in the rib. Right. So the, the, the story is that the bullet goes off the rib, but the internal, excuse me, hiccups, uh, the internal organs of their bleeding, and then at that time, then then uh, Ham, Hammy Hammy goes down like a sack of bricks, and Burr's like, "I'm vice president. I'm out of here. This should never happen." So <laughs> Burr. The story is that Burr went directly to the White House. Like, okay, shit, I shot a guy. <laughs> and then Hamilton. There's a doctor, and Hamilton says, "This is a mortal wound." Doc, this is a famous quote. This is a mortal wound, doctor. And the doctor's probably like, "Yeah, no shit." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah so then they, they take hamilton to this house and then he got communion and then he saw his wife and then he saw his kids and he was like hey kids um if you're ever in a duel don't uh you know don't uh don't shoot in the sky just shoot the guy and then uh, and then he died the next day now aaron burr basically is like bad karma he gets charged with murder Right. Mm. There's no there's no conviction because he's vice president. Right. That gets tossed out. His career is ruined. People are like, uh, he killed well, Hamilton. You said this duel happened in New Jersey. Was this like on a beach in Jersey or was this like in a city? So this is the, the heights of Weehawken. It's a famous site. There's and, and obviously they have um, they have um, a plaque there. Right. This is where Hamilton died and everything. If it's not on the shore, it's fairly close because dueling grounds. Yeah, I'm looking it up because, you know, Burr blasted Hamilton and then Burr walked away. I'm going to assume he didn't walk like 15 miles. He gets in his canoe. He goes back to the White House. He's like, oh, I'm the vice president. Dum, 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 dum. Nothing happened today. (laughs) This this event ruined Burr's life and then many many other things i think burr oh. just he yeah this he brought is on, on this is right on like a water air river area mm-hmm. yeah there's there's a plaque there there's you know there's a whole thing so then th- that's basically the end the end of burr's career and burr was a big deal he was a big lawyer he came from a huge family like basically his dad was i think his dad or his grandpa i think his his grandpa was like joel olstein like a huge huge um, mega church religion. guy, yeah, mega mega church guy. That he came from all of that. Um, so then there's uh from a result of the, there's a, a nationwide anti dueling sermons. It's not like like duels were not legal at that time. Just they the loophole was that everyone involved in the duel would look away, and then the guys would duel, and so that's that's how they got away with it. Um, so Burr was a, like a huge federalist, basically like trying to break up, uh, break away from constitutionalist that, that contributed to the end of the federalist party. Then in 1807, he gets arrested for trying to secede from the, from trying to get parts of the country to, to secede. Right. He kept trying to do this. He kept trying it. He went, he went down South. And then he said, "Hey, I'm I'm uh, I'm Aaron Burr, and uh, you should team up with me, and we'll break we'll break apart from the U.S." And it didn't work, and it didn't work, and it didn't work. 
you know, he, he got he got charged with treason and all of these cases just kept getting tossed out and tossed out and tossed out. He eventually left the country. He went to Europe. Uh, that didn't work out, whatever he was doing over there. And then he came back. And uh, who wants to hire Aaron Burr for an attorney? And then in the very, very end, he uh, he died of uh, financial ruin. He died at a boarding house. He died of a stroke. His second wife had divorced him. That was a huge, messy divorce. And the attorney for the wife helping her with the divorce when the divorce was very, very complicated. Aaron Burr Jr. Oh, yeah. Inter- so, yeah, I found the Weehawking Dueling Ground plaque. Yeah. It, it's the Weehawking Dueling Ground 1700s to the 1840s. Somewhere below this site on a wooden ledge. 20 feet above the Hudson River lay the dueling grounds. Among the many known and unknown duelists who fought here were Governor of New York, DeWitt Clinton, 1769 to 1828, Secretary of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton, 1755 to 1804, Vice President Aaron Burr, 1756 to 1836, and made it to age of 80. Burr made it to age of 80. And U.S. Navy Commodore Oliver Perry, 1785 to 1819, all came to Weehawken to defend their honor according to the custom of the day. There right. You go. Well, and, and duels, I, I don't know exactly when they were outlawed, when they were illegal, but I know for a fact when when... When Burr and Hamilton were dueling, it was illegal, for sure. Okay. Interesting. And so that that destroyed Burr's reputation, and then he just lived out his days, became more, more and more of a broken man, a broken man, and, and um, yeah. So hmm. don't, don't shoot anybody. And But also, I feel like Hamilton had a chance. Like, Hamilton was so... Uh, pious and like, oh, I stand by my principles. Like, well, stand by your principles to apologize, man. You got a, you got a wife and kids and maybe he didn't do anything, but sometimes, you know, you apologize for stuff you didn't do. One or the other, just apologize for shit that you didn't do and then go back to your life and enjoy your wife and kids or don't shoot the gun gun into the air. And you know, it's one or the other. Like you said, apologize. Even if you didn't, I mean, welcome to marriage. You know, like you didn't, <laughs> you didn't do anything wrong, but you still apologize just to, you know, appease the other side. I don't do that. I only apologize when I am wrong. You so don't, if you my don't. wife listens to this, then that's, so, I mean, lay down, lay down the law. I'm not shooting guns in the air. I'm just shooting guns all the time. Yeah. I'm going I'm I'm going to close out this without an apology and I'm going to say the opposite of an apology. July 16, 1945. One of the biggest days in the history of the world. Probably, I'd say probably absolutely top 3, top 4, top 2 or 3 days in the history of science. The this big movie the coming out about this. Oh, it's yeah, out. No, it's actually no. out now. Oh, I'm crazy. I'm crazy excited. First atomic bomb test. This is the Trinity test of um, 
1945, uh, July 1916. This happened at 5.29 a.m. Mountain Wartime. I didn't know that was a thing until until yesterday. It happened out in the uh, New Mexican desert in a place called Jornada del Morte. That means Dead Man's Journey. Mm-hmm. This is a, a good 35 minutes southeast of Socorro, New Mexico. And this is uh, this is the atomic explosion. This is Oppenheimer. This is Richard Feynman. This is everything. The, the prelude of this was Einstein reading, writing a letter to FDR. I think this was around 1939. And, and basically Einstein was saying, look, we're, we're discovering isotopes. We're discovering nuclear fission, nuclear fusion. And uh, the Germans are going to figure this out. Uh, we're, we're getting a handle on it. So it's only a matter of time until somebody is able to develop this bomb that's going to destroy the world. So, uh, you know, we, we need to get a handle on it. So that's how it started. It started with Einstein writing that letter to FDR. This is a plutonium uh, implosion. Like I said, a fusion. And so the estimation was something like 25 kilotons of TNT. There were something like 420, 430 people that were there. Uh, strangely enough, none of them died of radiation poisoning. That's my own conspiracy theory. That site there at uh, Jornada del Morte has a has an obelisk now. And the, uh, so, you know, I think about the obelisk, I think about 2001, the, the Kubrick movie, the, the fact that they called it Trinity obviously came from Oppenheimer. He he was heading up the whole team. He was heading up the, uh, Oppenheimer. Oppenheimer. Thank you. Oppenheimer was, uh, heading up the, um, the Manhattan team, Julius Robert Oppenheimer from, from New York. And so the, the Trinity name came from a, from a poem from John Doan. So old, old poet guy. One thing that everyone should realize if you try to read up on Oppenheimer, if you try to read up on atomic bomb, anything like that, Oppenheimer, one of the biggest geniuses, uh, in the last 300, 400, 500, maybe, maybe since, uh, since Galileo, Galileo. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting too, um, you know, with the atomic bomb, the idea was, okay, it's going to have this plutonium core. And in order to get the reaction we want, we have to slam that thing together as hard as we can. So the, it's basically a plutonium core and then the outside's got TNT to blast towards the middle to create enough energy to get the atomic bomb, which has only ever been used twice in world history over Japan. Outside of like nuclear submarines and things like you're talking about like bomb wise, but actually utilized in a military uh, aspect. Correct to to kill then, to kill to kill thousands of people. Yeah, and, and then a lot of these scientists afterwards actually created a panel that was like, okay, this thing works, and we have to put some type of regulations and rules in place that we don't need to be using these 
over the civilized world anymore. And they haven't been used since. Right. No, absolutely. So in the early days, it had uh, they had a lot of theory, obviously, leading up to the to the real deal stuff. And so the two isotopes that they landed on was uranium-235 and the plutonium-239. What a lot of people don't realize is when they had they had come to the Trinity test and the uh, and the bomb that they had they I love the the nickname for it was um um the gadget <laughs> that's yeah so you know like the there was there was a uh, the little boy that, that, that ended up on uh, on Hiroshima and everything so it was just a gadget but when they brought out the um the plutonium for uh, for the actual test for trinity that was it was not large it was uh you know it was basically like a couple of lunch pails or maybe like a lunch pail and a half that was half of all the plutonium that they knew about in the entire world it this is not an easily mined thing anything like that and so with the with the fission bomb is that you get this nucleus and then you bombard the the uranium so they you know decided on uranium 235 for a number of reasons so they bombard uranium 235 with all these uh neutrons so then that absorbs the neutrons when then one of, and then one of the new sorry one of the neutrons gets absorbed and then that breaks up it breaks up into two equal parts the uh the uranium 235 that releases a huge amount of energy and then there's a release of three nuclei and then those nuclei keep going and then they they attach on to the rest of it and it becomes this very like huge deal split splitting uranium chain reaction so that's highly that's unstable how, highly highly unstable. but they had all these other things if you look at the if you, if you look at the diagrams online about how they had to have you know, like you talked about, they had to have the explosion around it and they didn't know, you know, was it going to be cobalt and was it going to be nickel and was it going to be that? And so there was a number of things that went into it, but they knew that Germany was, they were going to get it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Germany was going to get it. So if Germany got it, then, then God knows how the world would have turned out. Never mind Japan and everybody else. So when they finally figured out all the math and all the science and all the uranium and all, and everything else they knew oppenhauer these these are the the, the best yeah the best minds of of the world between einstein and oppenheimer and uh richard feynman and all these guys and so on 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 the day we're gonna launch this uh, atomic bomb trinity or we're gonna they had a huge tower they're gonna drop it from and all that uh there was only there was only three things that were gonna happen it was going to be a dud, right? Mm -hmm. It would just fall or, and then it would be like, you know, fizzle, fizzle out. It would be a, a success and it was going to do what it was supposed to be. And the third possibility that everyone knew about the smartest guys, maybe in the history of the world outside of Galileo and yeah, maybe Copernicus, um, basically the smartest guys definitely in modern history. They were like, Oh yeah, one of the possibilities is it's going to destroy the world. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe it'll it'll burn through the sky with all the oxygen, and it, it'll just it'll destroy the U.S. and like you know basically 
uh, engulf like half of the um, the world's hemisphere at least. So those were the three things that they were dealing with on on that day, on July 16, nineteen forty five. So they wow. have pretty good, pretty good evidence. Well, it's probably going to work. It might be a dud, but one of the things that it might do, uh, destroy the world, destroy the U.S., destroy the Western Hemisphere. It seems like a good bet to take. <laughs> to, uh, to, uh, to take out the Japanese or, or at least, or at least it would, the whole thing was to, uh, was to beat, um, was to beat Germany or to beat the Russians the or just to, no, the, the, the Russians were friends with us at that time. So the, the Russians, well, yeah, the Russians were friends with us, but they were working on their own bomb at the same time. It was, it was a whole thing about like, you know, that was the enemy of my enemy is my friend. The Russians hated the Germans because the Germans were invading. trying to, um, yeah, they were invading and everything else. And so, uh, there's a large part of me, a large part of the world that feels like, did, did we need to go that way? I, I understand the concept that we had to do it because they were already working on it and heaven forbid that we get left behind all those things. I understand all that. My argument or my, my real thought, how I feel in my heart, how I feel in my soul, did we need to drop it on Japan because remember dropping it on Japan, April 6, 1945, they dropped little boy. There were 70,000, 80,000 people that were killed. Mm -hmm. Less than 10% of those people were military people. When you drop a bomb like that, you kill, obviously you kill kids, you kill women, you kill, you kill prisoners that had been captured from, yeah. you know, the people that were, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I've always thought like, well, you, you could drop it off shore. You could drop it in a, in a less, uh, in a less, um, Populated. populous area. Right. So I'll, I'll play the famous quote from Oppenheimer who no one can dispute his genius or the other guys. I mean, it, it was never going to happen without Einstein. How many Einsteins have we had since then? It probably uh, maybe us too. But... Would never happen without Richard Feynman. So all all of these guys. This is a famous quote. We all know. We all know this quote, and that's fine. But this is actually Oppenheimer. I'll play it for for many many reasons. I want to point out Oppenheimer spoke like eight languages, and he gave a speech in um, in the Netherlands one time or he gave a lecture in order to give the lecture I, I i guess he just decided upon himself to learn dutch to give this lecture right a language that he didn't speak he's born in new york he's he's still american uh he's american guy um he spent like six weeks learning dutch to give this lecture over there that's that's the kind of intellect that this guy had so this is a famous line from oppenheimer about and that he got from the Bhagavad Gita, which is an old, old text, and uh, you know came from Sanskrit, came from Hindu. Uh, I, I lived in, in that part of the world for a while. Uh, I don't know the Bhagavad Gita back and forth. I've read uh, many parts of it, and 
when he talks about this, this is basically talking about Vishnu and it's not that it's not the Trinity of, of Hinduism, but it is, uh, it definitely involves the concept of creation and destruction and responsibility to, uh, to take on, uh, horrible, horrible choices that maybe are unavoidable. Just to see the atomic bomb and all these, all you know, everything that everyone had been working for, and to know, hey, we're going to use this on Japan, because the Trinity test. This was July, and then, uh, and then uh, Hiroshima was less than a month later. That's crazy to me. And I and I've listened to those interviews, and I've and I've seen those interviews of him talking in the 60s like many many years later about like oh we had to make this decision and everything and he really stands by it but that being said you can hear the pain in his voice that you know i'm the leader of this group that decided we had to kill these thousands of people probably hopefully to avoid killing millions of people so this is one of these the benefit of a of uh the many outweigh the few and as far as bombing japan goes i don't think i can put my head around that i don't i don't i don't even think i can agree with it i don't know yeah that was a like i said a huge lesson learned yeah well i'm glad we haven't done it since then but the the other thing is maybe that the you know the the atomic bombs and, and the other thing i have to remind people of that the atomic bombs that we have now are at least a hundred times stronger than that. That's like generation one. How many times have you made a bomb in the 1940s? And then 60, 70, 80 years later, it's the same strength. The atomic bombs that we have now are way, way stronger than the ones that we have back then in like generation one. So if the U S heaven forbid anyone, I say anyone, the, the U.S. like superpowers, U.S., uh, Russia, China had to, I say had to, uh, you know, one bomb. It would not be like Hiroshima or Nagasaki at all. It wouldn't. It would not be seventy thousand, eighty thousand people, whatever. It, it would be much, much bigger. It would be a global end that just one launches and then that's it. But I think in my heart of hearts, I feel like this technology is going to be either. Maybe it saves us from the asteroid that's coming to kill us all because we've had five major extinction events in the history of the Earth that we know of. Maybe it'll be the technology that gets us to Mars and beyond. So that's that's my hope, is yeah. that this horrible, horrible technology that will be something that ends up saving humanity. That would make sense to me. I, I feel that in 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 my bones that the reason why the universe or whoever let this thing happen was so that that eventually it'll save us it'll save humanity i think maybe yeah 
I get to see the movie on the 31st. I'm 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 super duper excited. I'll be doing a review on that. Yes. Any uh, anything else that we have? Uh, I have. Uh, we talked about uh, what you what you're watching. Um, no, I'm still watching. I've caught up on Righteous Gemstones. So good for you. New episode and, tomorrow. Tomorrow. And, and you love it? The, no, the last episode. Uh, you know, the last one was okay. I love the baby Billy Bible bonkers idea. So I'm curious to see that take place. Uh, okay. The show is hilarious though. It is so good. No, this, this, this most recent season is, is absolutely outstanding. I love the monster truck called the redeemer. Like that's just All, all of that. Perfect. I'm I'm going to uh, get us into the last chapter with this. Uh, we don't we don't usually do a lot of current events, but I'll say this this country song thing. You know about this, right? I feel like we should touch on this because this story is really giving me a headache and making me nauseous. <laughs> I haven't heard the song. I'm I'm not I'm not a country music guy. I'm a rock and roll guy. I don't I don't know all the details or where was filmed or anything like that but i but i will say this is that the the press as we have called out many many times is so disgustingly hypocritical that two years ago that they had done a story npr and and all of them they had done a story on billy eilish that they had footage of her singing along to this uh, racist song and the, the footage was her when she was like 14, 15, underage girl. So this underage white girl happened to be Billie Eilish singing along to this uh, rap song that had a, a racial slur. The racial slur was a racial slur against Asians, right? And so everybody, they lost their minds and NPR lost their minds and CSNBC lost their minds. All This is not, this is not 30 years ago. This is two years ago. So eventually she had to capitulate and she said, I'm sorry that I was singing along to the song and all this stuff. And it's a rap song and whatever else at no point did NPR or CSNBC or anyone go after the actual rapper that wrote the song that sang this horrible slur against Asians. He got a, he got a total pass and they went after her. So again, I don't know all the details on the country music guy, but I will say, but I will say, you know, what are the facts? What did he say that he was at some, uh, there was like a lynching there or whatever he might, he may have not been there for those purposes. You can go to horrible places, places that have horrible histories and that's, and you're not, I was just say, if you're in the South, there's a good chance that there's a lynching outside of most can I'm not gonna say most, but you go to any major county courthouse, there was probably something that was racially uh, inappropriate that happened right back and in how- history. All right. I'm not I don't mean to end it on a bad note, but you know, there's only there's only so much I can take. Oh, wait, you skipped something though. I skipped uh, the what you're watching you put a show on here oh i did i did i did put so to end on in on a good let's end on a good note <laughs> on a good note uh yes i recently found the show called the life and times of tim 
it is on, well, it used to be called HBO. It's called Max now. Did you know that, John? Has... Yeah, the app on the TV changed. It just says Max. It says Max. That, that's not Showmax. Wasn't, there used to be a Showmax, it right? It was Cinemax. Cinem- Showtime. Okay. And HBO. But HBO yeah. owns Cinemax. And I don't okay. know why they've rebranded to just I Max. don't know. They're so, they're so Max. Uh, yes. So I, this is an old show, by the way. This is like 2009, 10, 11, 12. I just found this show. It's one of those things like late night. And if you've listened to our show enough, you know, at the end of the day, I don't want to do anything heavy duty with the dramas and the, and the crying and all that. I just want to yeah, you just do, want some light and do, funny do a little and... laugh. Yeah. Jim Stone. Oh, did, did you ever watch uh, vice principles? I did. I loved it. Yeah. Okay. okay. I've, I've watched probably everything that Danny McBride has done and I've watched almost everything that Walter Goggins has done. I know I loved him in the shield, but yeah, I, I randomly found this, uh, this cartoon it's called uh, life and times of Tim. Uh, I, it's not particularly for kids. I would not say for kids, but it's very funny and it's right up my alley. And it's the thing to end the day on. I have my ice cream and I chillax and I watch this and I get a little ha ha and I go to bed and then I, and then I'm not mad about all the stupid media things and everything else happening in the world. So, uh, right now that's, that's, uh, that's my go-to, but I a hundred percent agree with Sean Esquire, Jim Stone's killing it really just amazingly funny, great writing. All the actors are great. John Goodman has never been, uh, turned in a bad performance ever. The guy is just an amazing actor, everything he does. So that's, that's where we're coming from. And we will be, well, Sean Esquire and I are bounce, bouncing back and forth. I'm doing vacation and then he's doing vacation and then I'm doing vacation. So we will try to stay on top of summer, uh, summer episodes as best we can. Please bear with us. Thank you for bearing with us. We will be finding more beers, more recipes, more current events to laugh at and, uh, definitely getting into more history. Sean Esquire, anything from your end? Nope. Sounds good. Um, We'll see you next week, and then I'll be seeing Oppenheimer on the 31st. So two podcasts from now, I'll be giving a full review on that. I will be definitely seeing Oppenheimer, and I will probably be reading at least one book on Oppenheimer. 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 Julius Robert, between now and then. Thank you everyone for listening and for bearing with us. I think I'm on like beer six or seven now. And as always, please reach out to us. We'd like to hear about your beers, your recipes, your request for history, anything like that. Oh, uh, we need our website first. We, we or social we, media. Don't worry. Don't, don't worry about that. Every, everything is, it's, it's, it's coming, but thank, thank you everyone for listening. Sean Esquire, always great to see you and hear from you. Sorry about your dog situation. And we I'll will, edit it out. We will, <laughs> we're going to edit it out. We'll, we'll be back uh, next week or the week after with, with more of uh, everything that uh, we love and hopefully you love. Thank you, everyone, for listening.